Hello, I'm Stephen Groom. Welcome to Let God Speak. The covenant promises made to Abraham's seed follows the line of Israel, out of which came the long-awaited Messiah. This study will look at what conditions came with the covenant, whether Israel actually kept it, and what happened when they didn't keep it. We will also see if the covenantal blessings were restricted to any one nation or people group. And finally, what is the take-home message for us today in the 21st century? Please join us for this exciting study. On our panel today, we have Rod Butler and Gail Fong. Welcome Hi. to the panel. Let us begin with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you will be with us as we explore this exciting topic, topic on Abraham's seed. Amen. For our first question, I will ask Rod in Genesis chapter 15, what did this chapter have to say about the specific line of people who would receive the covenantal promises given to Abraham's seed, right? Well, Genesis 15, at this stage, Abraham is he's getting around 80 years of age and uh, he thinks that he's, he's, he's childless, by the way. He thinks that his, his heir or his offspring, his inheritance would go to one of his servants, Eliezer. But God said, no, 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 no. Um, your inheritance will come through someone from your own body, seed or his descendants through his own body. And that, that in, is the clue that in Genesis 15, that line through Abraham would be the seed which gets the covenantal promises. So he, he somehow doubted God's word. That's always dangerous, isn't it? Well, God took him outside and said, look up in the sky, your offspring will be like the stars in the sky. Yeah, but he looked at himself getting old and he thought, how can this be fulfilled? Yeah. Looking at the covenantal promises made given to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, was God's covenant given for the benefit of his descendants on, only or was, were they for other nations as well, Gail? Well, in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, it states that through Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's what God said to Abram. And it's interesting there that um, of his line, the Redeemer of the world did come through his descendants. Therefore, this meant that God's covenantal uh, blessings initially given to Abram and his descendants or Israel were actually meant to be a benefit for all nations of the world. Okay. Through some important person that was going to come, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Genesis 17 also includes... Um, covenant with Abraham, who later had his name changed. Does this passage also give any evidence that the covenantal blessings were not just for the literal people of Israel, right? It does. I mean, if you look at um, uh, chapter 17, and if you look at, say, verse 5, and as Gail just read, he's already had the promise of being the father of many nations. In verse 5, where it says, neither shall thy name any more be called Abraham, which means uh, father of, sorry, exalted father. 
but thy name shall be Abraham, which means father of many or father of multitudes. And then God says, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. So there is a clue that through Abraham's seed, all nations would be blessed. Yes. And we'll see later that name changing has a, an important element in mm. being God's people, doesn't it? Yeah. I'd like to read from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, and then we'll talk about it. Speaking of God's people Israel, it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. This sounds like favoritism to me. Were they any better than the other surrounding nations, Rod? No, they weren't any better. Um, in fact, they became quite exclusive. And if you look at uh, verse 7, um, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. So they were not favoured for any reason. God chose them and he chose them because they were of the seed coming through um, Abraham, then, then Isaac, then Jacob. And of course, the 12 sons of Jacob became the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's where they, uh, the, the line went. Yes. But they, they became exclusive. Yes. So let's uh, explore that a bit further. Gail, why exactly did God choose Israel? Well, Was it to lord it over other nations? Well, in Isaiah uh, chapter 44 and verse 8, it states, You are my witnesses. Uh, is there a God besides me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. So in this text, God is appealing for someone and here Israel to be his faithful um, witnesses, to represent him amongst the nations. And he wanted them to be a living example of his character. And as they, in obedience to the holy law, his Ten Commandments, that they would be uplifting God and they would be exemplifying the true and living God amongst the nations. And other people would get to know him. The world would get to know him through their living testimony. So Israel was to show forth the praises of God, as it says in Isaiah, Isaiah 43 and verse 21 and declare God's glory among the nations, as it says later in Isaiah 66 and verse 19. They would be to be a light to the Gentiles because the Gentiles were in darkness. And specifically, there was to be one person coming out of the line of, of um, Israel that was to fulfill that, wasn't yes. it, Gail? Would you like the to tell Messiah. us who that was? The Messiah. Uh, yes, um, the Holy One of Israel, which is Jesus Christ himself, the saviour of the world. So as we uplift Jesus, we have um, we are giving glory to him because he alone is worthy of our praise and honour and worship. He alone is God. He is the living, true and faithful God. And thank you for your answer. That highlights the importance, as we read in the Old Testament, the importance of why God stressed the importance of his people keeping the law so that they could reflect his character to the people around them. Yeah. Now I see that. Um, look, staying in Deuteronomy 7, chapter 7 and verse 6, it says that they were to be an holy people. Um, staying with you, Gail, what does that mean exactly, to be holy? Well, 
I'll, I'll just read, uh, if you like, Exodus 19 and verse 6, and it says, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So according to God's divine plan, Israel, the Israelites were to be both a royal and priestly race. They were uh, in an evil world. They were kings of morality, to be kings of morality and spirituality. Uh, and they were to uh, rule over the realm of sin. They were not to partake of the sins of the nations around them. They were to separate from uh, uh, from the customs and sacrifices that were happening in the nations around them. And as priests, they were to draw people to the Lord through prayer and praise and sacrifice. They were also to uh, be intermediaries between God and the heathens, and they were to serve as instructors and as uh, preachers and prophets. Yes. And they were to, to be examples of holy living, uh, holy, dedicated, consecrated lives, totally consecrated. So they were heaven's exponents of um, true religion. Wow, that was that was fantastic. Thank you for that. And. Um it sounds like they were to be almost evangelists, doesn't it? The way you put it. Yeah. And exit, staying in that verse there, speaking of being a kingdom of priests to the nations around them, this sounds very familiar to a New Testament uh, text of Scripture. And I believe that must be some connection between Israel of old and the New Testament Christians. Is that yeah. right, Rod? It is. And the text you're referring to, uh, if we turn to First Peter chapter 2, now, verse 5 mentions that we are in holy priesthood, but verse 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. So all the things that Gail just said that applied back then, that they were to be um, you know, intermediaries, they were to be uh, priests, uh, they would serve as instructors, preachers, uh, prophets, examples of holy living. Well, guess what? That <laughs> applies to us today if we're Christians. Oh, that's important because some people tell me we don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. But that's important that we do. Yeah. And I, I like the part that says we're to call people out of darkness into yeah. his wonderful light. Yeah. And God uses that imagery, doesn't he, in the Bible? And Jesus used it too. So this means that Israel should have been evangelistic in nature, uh, much like the Christian church is to be. And we know many texts in the New Testament speak about um, evangelism, you know, Matthew 18, 19 and 20 and Revelation 14. In attracting the Gentiles or non-believers into the worship of Yahweh, the, the God of the Bible, how are we supposed to do this, Gail? Um, well, the prophet Ezekiel says in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 23, um, midstream through that verse, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. And I love the way the New Living Translation puts that last little bit. It says, or when I reveal my holiness through you before their eyes. Yes. So um, there is when God's people come to know Yahweh, when they themselves become holy by living that um, obedient life, keeping God's commandments, they become a transcript of God's character. And in so doing, they will become like 
like God in character and be able to draw others to know the true and living God. And God says in the New Testament in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 and verse six, 16, be ye holy for I am holy. So there's a correlation there. It seems like Israel was almost an example of how Christians should be or the Christian uh, church is a continuation of Old Testament Israel. Would you say that yes. that's right? Yes, definitely. However, did the Jewish nation understand this exclusive nature of God's covenantal blessings? What I, what I mean by inclusive is welcoming other people into their nation. Did they understand that, right? Well, sadly, no, they didn't understand it. And we, we see the, the height of this at the time of Jesus. Um, for example, when John the Baptist was uh, baptising, he had a few things to say. Just turn with me to Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, and I'm going to look at verses 8 and 9. This is John the Baptist speaking to the, the, the Jewish priests and leaders who came out to see what he was doing at the River Jordan. John the Baptist says, Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. Well, that just means uh, prove by the way that you live that you have truly repented of your sins and have turned to God. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able to these, of these stones <clears throat> to raise up children of Abraham. At that stage, they become completely exclusive. Well, what did the word At, stones mean? He said God is able to raise up of these stones. Was there any meaning to the word stones? Well, the, the word stones, raise up these stones, seed of... Um, Gentiles. Gentiles, yeah. yeah. And also just the word Pharisee. The Pharisees were one of the main religious sects. That means separated ones. Mm. So they didn't want to have any involvement with the Gentiles because that would be ceremonially unclean. So when Jesus came around and with John the Baptist, they had to sweep away all that exclusiveness and try and bring back those people because Jesus came to seek and save those which were lost. Yes. Even in the Old Testament, he did that. Yeah. Right throughout history, yeah. God was seeking to save people. And so did, uh, coming back to Paul's writings, did Paul have anything to say about the inclusive nature of the Abrahamic covenant, even back in their time? He, he did, Stephen. And in Galatians um, 3 and verse 29, we read, uh, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So here, if you are Christ, that if you belong to him, you've given your heart to him, then you are considered by God uh, Abraham's seed and that the covenantal promise for Abraham also belongs to you and I. So, so that means anyone can be Christ? Yes, and, so. and absolutely. And it goes on. He goes on in Galatians, Galatians 6 and verse 16, uh, where he's closing verses there. And he says that, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And of course, in verse 15 before, it talks of that they are a new creation in Christ. So this new creation, the Israel of God, which is you and I today, we are included in this Abrahamic promise. Yes. Covenant. Are there any other New Testament authors who use Israel in reference to Christians? There are, but just before, just to comment on what, yep. it goes to highlight that we can profess to be Christians, but our profession is worthless. It's what we do and what we believe and how we act. 
that show people if we really are children of God. And that certainly yes. comes out in the text we've been looking at today. It does, today. Yes. Yeah. yes. Just to answer your question, any other uh, writers, there are uh, in the book of James, if you turn to James 1 and the very first verse, James chapter 1, the very first verse says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting. Well, he doesn't say the tw- 12 tribes of Israel, but the, the reference or the allusion is definitely there. Yes. And it can't be literally the 12 tribes of Israel because 10 of them got wiped out 750 odd years earlier by the Assyrians. We saw that last quarter, didn't we? Yeah. And then you had a whole lot went into captivity, the tribes of Benjamin and Judah. And what came out was a remnant, which were the Jews. Um, so this, this reference can only be to the Christian church, to yes. spiritual, spiritual Israel, Israel, spiritual 12 tribes, which is us, which Very is another important. illusion of that. Yeah. It must yes. be that. Part of the covenant involved the promise of land. Well, let's look at more specific part of the covenant now. How was this fulfilled for Israel, Gail? Well, a promise of land was given uh, to God's people, Israel. It was first given to Abraham and then to Jacob and then to Isaac. And Joseph on his deathbed, he also uh, repeated the words of the promise. And uh, he said that God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto a land which is promised to, um, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So... Uh, but God was informed Abraham that it would be 400 years before uh, they would, the, the seed of Abraham would actually uh, take possession of the land. And then Moses writes in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1 and verse 8, he repeats the promise to the children of Israel. He says, See, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land. So 400 years, Abraham never got to see any benefits of the covenant promises himself, or so it seems. But Hebrews does tell us he does on that point. He he got to see where God had promised. He got to see the land. Yes. But he was a stranger in it. The fulfillment was still way down in the future. Way down, yeah. So it was given to his family, so to speak. Mm. Was there any obligation on the people's part to do anything in regards to these covenantal promises of God, right? Yeah, with, with the covenant, there are obligations. And with this one, uh, to highlight this, this point, I'm just going to refer now to Exodus. Um, I'm looking at chapter 19 and verse 5. And just look at the construction here. It says, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then shall you be a peculiar treasure upon me, unto me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. So there's an if and then. If you do this, then this will happen. So this, there's, uh, it's conditional. It's not just, well, I'll, God doesn't say, I'll just give you all this. Yes. There's a condition of obedience. Yeah. And not obedience out of legalism, obedience out of love for God. So it's not whether or not you come from the literal line of Abraham or not. That's very important. Is there another whole chapter devoted to these covenantal promises in the Old Testament, Gail? Uh, Yes, there is. Deuteronomy chapter 28. It follows the same line as what Rod was just sharing with us there in Exodus. Uh, The same conditional of construction. So if is then followed by then. Um, So um, we find that 
This chapter, uh, the first 15 verses actually, from verses 1 to 15 there, it reveals that the results of God's people, if they are faithful, if they are obedient, then they would partake of the blessings of the covenant. Uh, On the other hand, verse 15 right through to 68, which is a larger portion of the chapter, uh, reveals that if the people of Israel Uh, were disobedient and didn't, then they would partake of the curses that are there mentioned. And so um, the results then, the blessings and cursings were totally dependent on their own um, reaction reaction. Reaction to God's promises or his stipulations in in the covenant, wasn't it? And you'll find this same uh, construct in the in the message to the seven churches in Revelation chapter two and three. If you do this, God shows them a promise. Mm. Sorry, the the mistakes that the churches were doing. He says, if you do this, I will bless you. If you don't do it, you'll receive these curses. So we see the continuation of the blessings. And, 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 and people don't have any excuse. Why is all this happening? They've just got to look what the it's based on their was. own reaction, yes. isn't it? Yeah. The counterpart to Deuteronomy chapter twenty eight is Leviticus. 26. I just want to look at a couple of verses here. What does Leviticus chapter 26 and verses 32 and 33 tell us what God will do to those who walk contrary to him? That is, continue in rebellion against him. Right. Well, I mean, if you go back to what Gail read with Deuteronomy 28, where there's three times as many verses about what's going to happen if you don't fulfill the requirements. Um, this is also a pretty harsh reminder. It seems to me that God has to sort of emphasize the negative to sort of get people to realize. And he really, it doesn't hold and, back and on this And this is one. a general summary, isn't it? Yeah. So if I just read here verse 32 and 33, it says, and I'll bring the land into desolation and your enemies which dwell therein shall be astonished at it. And I will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you and your land will be desolate and your cities waste. That's pretty powerful stuff by being not following God's requirements. It just shows how important it is to obey the Lord, doesn't it? Yes. And it's not as if obeying the Lord's unpleasant or difficult. It's a joy. To those who have a relationship yeah, with him. Yeah. Yes. With all these strong incentives and warnings in the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, for Israel to be faithful to the Lord and his covenant, was Israel faithful to God, Gail? Well, no, not always. It's, uh, reading in Jeremiah chapter 11 and verse 8, uh, it says, Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone followed the dictates of his evil heart. Therefore, I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but which they have not done. So, sounds very clear here that they actually received the covenant curse here because of their disobedience. And unfortunately, uh, this seemed to be a pattern of um, the nation of ancient Israel, that um, they would follow the pattern of apostasy, followed by divine judgment, Mm -hmm. followed by um, repentance, and then there would be a period of obedience. I sort of look on this as this happens in my own life too. And, and this is so sad because when we realise um, God has our, our own best 
interest at heart, doesn't he? Yes. Doesn't he want to save us? He doesn't have anything bad for us, so we would be best to obey him. So on this important subject, what is the mindset of being able to keep the covenant right? Well, the covenant, God's approach to the covenant was not a, a legal document, you know, stamped and legal. That's cold, clinical, harsh, uh, black and white. He wanted the covenant to be a relationship. And the way he described in the Bible, the best way he could get that message across of what kind of relationship was he used the marriage of a man and woman as an example. And just to highlight that, if I just turn to, I'm looking at Jeremiah and chapter 3, and I want to look at verse 1. I'll read verse 1. And then I'll have a quick look at verse 20. They say, if a man put away his wife and shall go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with me, with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. So he's sort of saying, my relationship with you is like a man to a woman and you've run off, but come back to me. He's faithful. And in verse 20, just over the page, it says, Surely as a wife treacherously departed from her husband, so have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. God is faithful. It's, It's the humanity side which keeps wandering away. But God keeps calling back because he loves us with a, with a love that's so deep we don't understand. And, and we also should know that we are naturally rebellious since Adam fell in Eden, mm. that we have a sinful nature. So this is not unnatural, but I'd like to stress that if you feel that you've done something wrong, God will always accept you back into his fold, won't he? God always is the one that reaches out first. Yes. Praise coming God back to the, the grace of God. Isn't the grace of God, yes. Coming back to the covenantal promises, um, they were given to Abraham's seed for both literal Israel and spiritual Israel, uh, Christians today. They are really, I'm thinking of the covenantal promises of land. They're only a blessing for people during this time while we live on earth. Is there a more permanent blessing to God's faithful people that he has for us in mind in the 21st century that will last for eternity? Yes, I definitely believe so. The Bible speaks of that. And although it would appear that Abraham actually, he he did not possess the land in his lifetime, but his descendants obviously did in the Old Testament. They entered into the promised land. Uh, It tells us that there in Genesis, the book of Genesis, and as we read in Deuteronomy. um, But... um, And Stephen writes in the New Testament, he actually confirms that where he was um, um, witnessing there. He says in uh, Acts 7 and verse 5, it says, And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But he was looking for a heavenly city. He was a pilgrim and a wanderer here, and his fulfillment will be in the heavenly city. As it says in uh, Hebrews 11.10, he looked for a city whose builder and maker was was God. So, so we, we think of he came from Ur of the Chaldees and that was found to be a very uh, blessed place. You know, very prosperous. Very prosperous. Yes. And he chose to leave that and live in tents so that he could um, follow God's ways. That's a very important lesson for us. We might not receive all the covenantal blessings, but yes. um, what lessons also can you give in the 21st century? Very quickly, just as God led us, led them out of Egypt, the seed of Abraham, and, and gave them the promised land, we're led out of slavery into a relationship with Christ. 
Thank you. Thank you, Gail and Rod, today. God chose Israel through the Abraham to be his witnesses to all nations because God would have all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2.4 Israel were priests under God and by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you too can become a priest and be a spiritual child of Abraham, receiving all the blessings of the covenantal promises and invite other people to Jesus, who is the truth and the life. We are glad you joined with us today on Let God Speak. You can catch up on all our past programs and download teacher's helps from our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can email us on lgs at 3abnaustralia.org.au. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.